Welcome back to the podcast. Going to talk about some spring bear hunting tips and other stuff to kind of look forward to. It's spring bear season, so if you're coming up here to Alaska, you are either on the way or you are coming here pretty quick. So uh, a couple things I want to brag about the skiff that uh, my wife and I bought. Bragging not really as far as I can afford this and you can't. I'm not going to lord it over you, but it is pretty sweet. Uh, it's an 18-foot Lund SSV with a console. Um, love it. Got a 60-horse Yamaha on it, new, and that might be a little bit too much motor, but uh, it's kind of nice. I can run it at uh, 45, 4,600 um, RPMs and get it to 26, 27 miles an hour, but uh, it's it's nice. She cruises super nice, and it's really, it cuts through the waves, which is why Lunds are such ubiquitous skiffs in southeast Alaska. It cuts through the waves really nice, and you can go anywhere in it. You can get into some really light, uh, really nice tidal areas and some low waters, which makes them ideal for, for hunting beaches, especially during uh, bear season like it is here. I had a 15-foot Boston Whaler before that, actually before before, because uh, my first boat was that was that Boston Whaler, and it was it was nice, but it just kind of beat the waves. It kind of pounded through them, and uh, there was a lot of a lot of spray. The Lund is a lot lighter, so sometimes if you get a really big gust of wind, you can kind of feel it a little bit more. But it cuts through the waves super super nice. So I mean, there's no perfect boat. Talked about that at length with uh, some of the guests. So big fan of the of the boat. It's just a a bear hunting machine. It's nice to be able to pull uh, pull a, a pot or two if you're setting shrimp pots or crab pots or whatnot. So it's really a good boat. Got it at Bayco here in, in uh, Ketchikan. The uh, weight for um, boats and for motors seems to be uh, fixed. I know there was some pl- supply line issues a year or two ago, and it was crazy. You just could not get a hold of a kicker uh, just years out. But it seems like uh, the supply chain has been uh, replenished and things are, are good to go. So. That's the skiff. I had a question from a listener who was uh, asking about some specifics for the skiff. And so uh, that's it. And I uh, love it so far. What goes along really nice with that, uh, I have a Mustang jacket and my wife has one too. So when you are going out and you're going 25 miles an hour into a light rain or you're getting sprayed by the ocean, it's nice to have a jacket that's nice and warm, but also works as a flotation device. So those Mustang jackets are great. Obviously, uh, Coast Guard certified. They're puffy. They don't have the CO2. So when it hits water, it doesn't automatically inflate. It's got the insulation, so it keeps you dry. But then also, that's the insulation that's going to keep you afloat if something bad happens. So it's nice to have that jacket. Um, It makes you wear it on those uh, cold days where it's windy, or like I said, when there's some rain. So that's just a really nice thing to have with it. A lot of people have those up here. Uh, And then you have your, your flotation device other than that and some other life jackets for people who are in there. But really excited for the setup. Um, and, uh, when it comes to bear, um, one of the biggest things that, uh, that I'm learning, cause I've done some anchoring before, but, uh, I haven't, you know, I didn't grow up doing a whole lot of it. And so, you know, I'm, I'm still kind of nervous about, uh, leaving the boat, um, or letting things go dry and you can let them dry. So I'll, I'll kind of start first with, uh, with your spring bear hunting. If you're taking a skiff out somewhere, is just paying attention to the, to the tides uh, e-scouting land is good where you can get kind of an idea of, of what some of the terrain is. You're looking for some creeks that are coming into these grassy flats, but also if you download Navionics or looking at Navionics, it's really going to be important to get the depth. So you might think this bay is a nice big bay with a grass flat at the bat, uh, at the back, 
but at low tide, you might have a half a mile or so of, of flat. And so if you go in there at a low tide, you're going to be a long stinking way from your, from your boat, um, or from your skiff. And then the tide comes up so fast on that too. And so if it's going out, um, on one of those big tidal flats and, um, you leave your boat, even for 15, 20 minutes, you're going to have to then push your boat a long way through the muck, uh, in order to get it back in the water and get out of there. So playing the tides and knowing what tide, what the tide's going to do and how, how extreme the tide is, is going to be important, uh, as well. If you're at a mid tide and it's outgoing and you take your skiff ashore and you walk ashore, even to take a leak or something, you could come back. And as the tide is still going out, you're going to have to push your skiff through the mud. And that's probably just not going to happen. Uh, if you are trying to drag it over rocks and whatnot, if it's a more uh, steeper angle where you've, uh, where you've put the boat, then uh, those, those rocks and those barnacles can do, can do a number on the rivets. So paying attention to the tide, knowing if it's outgoing, if it's ingoing, knowing the terrain of the tidal flat too, how steep it is. Um, the flatter it is, the more you're going to get some of that mud, um, the steeper it is, you might get kind of a muddy with some, some smaller rocks and whatnot on there. So it's going to give you more time because it's going to take longer for the tide to drop on one of those steeper areas. Cause you're talking about inches versus a very gentle or almost imperceptible slope of those flats. You're going to talk about for it to drop one inch of tide, you're talking maybe 10, 15 feet of ground will be exposed as the tide continues to drop. So those are some important things to know. If you are going to stay through the tide and you're not worried about it going dry, then that's totally fine. Make sure you have uh, an anchor that's, uh, that's set in there and also make sure you have enough scope out because the boat will lift the anchor and the chain. And so if you have the anchor dug in, you have the the chain dragged out. Um, once the boat starts to float on the incoming tide, um, it's going to obviously float the boat, but because there's going to be an angle and the chain is going to be against the mud, it's going to take a lot more wind tide energy to pull the entire chain anywhere. Um, and then also get the anchor out from being, um, uh, stuck there. So, uh, if you just simply drop the anchor and the chain into a pile, as the tide comes up, it'll lift the boat and it'll start lifting some of the chain. And then if it gets high enough, cause you haven't let out enough scope or rope, then you can have a situation where you float your uh, chain, float the anchor, and then your boat is gone. And that happens uh, sometimes. People will drop anchor in, let's say, eight feet of water. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by big wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I first heard that Mint Mobile offers premium wireless starting at just 15 bucks a month, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them and using their service, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they're the first company to sell wireless service online only. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. For anyone who hates their phone bill, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just 15 bucks a month. 
I was hesitant about having to get a new phone and a new phone number, but with Mint, you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone and your same phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Mint Mobile gives you the best rate whether you're buying for one or for a family, and at Mint, families start at two lines. All plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just 15 bucks a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and to get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com/waypoint. That is mintmobile.com/waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash waypoint. And then the tide comes up another 10 feet. Um, and so you put nine feet out, but now you have an extra foot. And so you can either drag anchor um, or you can, it can completely lift the anchor and people lose skiffs. It seems like every year there's a skiff floating somewhere because not enough scope was, uh, was taken out. Uh, or put out. So five to one is, uh, is good, uh, or is it kind of the minimum seven to one is recommended, which means that, um, for however many feet of depth you're going to be anchoring in, you have, uh, five times more feet of, of line that, uh, keeps your angle good. So as the wind or the tide pulls the boat, um, it's not going to be able to drag, um, all that cause it's at a, at a pretty steep angle and nothing is lifted up. So I'll include a link to this post. You can kind of get into that, or you can just make a Google uh, search about scope and anchoring. So understanding the tides is really important so that you're anchoring in a safe area. Um, Put out enough line so that you don't drag or you don't lose your boat when you come back to it. Um, Also, you don't want um, your boat to settle onto some larger rocks. If you're careless with where you tie up your boat or you try to anchor it um, as the tide goes out, um, it could be hitting on this rock, which is going to do damage potentially to the bottom of the boat. Um, also, as the tide's going out, if it starts to settle on a rock, um, after a while, there's going to be no water to support it or not enough water to support it. And then you can have a situation where the boat kind of tips over onto its side. Um, and then if the tide comes back in, if you're not checking on it for a while, then uh, the tide can come back in and flood the boat. So it's just really important to pay attention to the tides. Pay attention to where you're anchoring. Uh, make sure that it's mud. There's no big rocks that are around there. Try to avoid that, all those things so that you can safely anchor um, or you can safely have it go dry. There are a couple different ways to to anchor it and keep it in the water. Um, um, but that's that gets a little bit complex. Um, make sure that you have a good line that goes to the shore and then you can have a separate line that is to the anchor itself. So you push the boat out, and then when you think it's deep enough, you yank on the other line. You feed out the shoreline, and then you feed out uh, the line that's attached to the anchor. When it's where you want it, then you pull the line that's attached to the anchor. The anchor is going to fall into the water. Um, You'll secure the uh, shoreline, and then you'll also secure the other line. And then when you want to go, you just pull that line that's attached to the anchor. Uh, You pull that into shore, and um, because you'll you're pulling in the opposite direction of where the anchor would catch. Uh, you shouldn't be catching on anything as you're pulling that back in. So that's a way that you can ghost anchor it. Uh, it's been called ghost anchor, Indian anchor, uh, Shimshan anchor. Um, so that that's a good method uh, if you want to keep things um, out in the water and you're uh, just going to be there for a half hour or so and maybe it's a, it's a rising tide and uh, 
you want to keep it out or it could be a dropping tide and you're only, only going to be there for a couple hours. You're going to be there to, through the tide change. So pay attention to the tides. Once again, pay attention to the tides, pay attention to the terrain, um, have an idea of how far the tide's going to go out, where you're going to be. And then if the boat is going to go dry, what type of terrain it's going to be settling on. If it's going to be rocky, um, if it's going to be muddy, take a, take a good, uh, it's good to, good to know that. Take a good look at uh, what the terrain is going to be. Um, also, it's important if you're going to uh, to the shore, check the tide line of the last um, high tide and compare. The, the latest high tide will be a little bit fresher as far as debris and things like that that are in there. It'll be fairly obvious. There will likely be other tide lines. So you choose the one that's the uh, the freshest or look that's the one that's the freshest and then compare that to the next tide. So if you're looking at the tide line and it would, the last tide was a 13, um, and so that gives you an idea of where the 13 tide was. If the next tide is going to be a 16, then you're going to have three more feet of tide, um, which tells you that um, if you are approaching a beach at a low tide, you see where the 13 is. If you go to the back of this area and you can cross this creek, if you add three more feet to that next tide, the creek that you cross, no big deal, is going to be substantially higher on the next tide. A, because there's more tide, and B, because more water is going to be backed up into that creek. Uh, buddy and I were fishing at this uh, tidal river, and he crossed, but the next tide was higher. And so it wasn't even the high tide yet, but he was all he was already trying to come across. And he had about two inches of, of space between the top of his waders, uh, and, and the water when he went over, but this next tide, as he was coming back over, he had, it was like surface tension. It was almost bubbling over and flooding his waders. That's because the next tide was higher. Um, so pay attention to, to the difference in that. That can make a big difference between you, uh, flooding your waders. That can make a difference between you, uh, having to hike far back, uh, or, you know, maybe a half mile or so back up river and cross up there where it's going to be safe. So, um, those little creeks that you're looking at hunting where the grass flats are, once that tide starts coming in and all that water is backing up in there, you know, the small creek that you can wade easily, or even if you have, if, if you're just in boots, you know, if you don't have waders, if you're looking at just your extra tough or your Grundon's boots, all of a sudden, you know, just a, just a couple, just a half hour or so of tide as it's coming back up can make where you crossed no longer crossable. So, um, Typically the flows are pretty low. And so it's not going to be a situation where like you're up North, you're on a sheep hunt or a caribou hunt and you're trying to cross this river after a rain and all of a sudden it's a torrent and you lose your feet. It's not going to be something like that, but it is pretty uncomfortable and pretty unfortunate if you're trying to cross something and there's more water uh, and you flood your boots, uh, something like that. So the consequences aren't nearly as dire, uh, but there are indications or there, there are instances in which people have been out on mud flats when the tide starts to come up. And the lower the tide is, the softer the mud is and the more you stick. And I remember as a kid, I was out and just messed around on the beach on a, on a real minus tide. And I remember getting my boots stuck because if you stay there for just a couple seconds, your boots sticks, you start to sink. And so as I was trying to get one boot out, obviously all my weight was on the other boot. And so that other boot got stuck. You just got to keep moving. And obviously it, it like stole one of my boots. It was in the muck. And so as I'm trying to pull it out, um, my other boot gets stuck and you just pull your feet right out of the, right out of the boot. So then you're on your knees and it's just an absolute mess. And so there's always, um, 
clam diggers that are out in the Turnigan arm, which has real extreme tidal swing up in the anchorage area. Um, that fine silt mud, um, people have to be rescued because they get out there, they get stuck and the tide starts coming in. So that doesn't happen as much in Southeast, but, uh, people do get stuck in the mud. And again, it's not a life or death situation in most cases down here in Southeast, but it is unfortunate and it, it, it will benefit you to pay attention to these sort of things and prevent unnecessary grief, like uh, flooding your waders or getting stuck or getting the boat stuck or any of those sort of things to pay attention to, uh, to that, know that there's a lot of water moving, um, compare your tides. Um, this can also be a, a big difference if you're camping, like right on the edge of, uh, of the water. Um, if you have an 18 foot tide, that's a pretty high one for, uh, for Southeast. But, uh, um, if you're on the beach, just kind of hanging out and you set up your tent on pebbles where just kind of nice and it's open. Some of the, the timber might not be accessible or clear. There could be a lot of salal, um, in there, but, uh, you could wake up with a flooded tent if you are trying to camp on the beach and the next tide is two feet, three feet higher than the previous one. So, um, take a look at what the previous high tide was, but then compare that to what the next one is. That's, that's the key is compare that to what the next uh, tide is going to be. So, um, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty solid there. I, I think for the skiff stuff, uh, hopefully that uh, that made some sense as far as gear goes. Um, I like uh, waders can be can be pretty good, but I also really like bibs because if you wear boots and bibs, the bibs will breathe a lot better than waders. Uh, and then as you're crossing those little creeks, because they're they're like the Grundens bibs or the Helly Hansen bibs because they're rubber, um, you can go deeper than your boots are tall and the water's just going to collect against the side. Your, your, your feet aren't going to get wet. Your boots aren't going to get wet. So, and then you can sit down anywhere. You can sit right down in the mud. You can, um, if you're hanging out on the edge of a glass fat and, uh, flat and just sitting there, you know, you're, you're not worried about getting, um, wet. You're not worried about getting uh, muddy and sapping that, uh, that energy, uh, trying to keep warm. So, uh, Grunin's bibs are, are great to, to hunt in. Um, because bear don't have really good eyesight, you, you can you can use uh, you can use camo. I know people who hunt over baits, uh, archery. They uh, tend to care a little bit more about uh, camo and whatnot. But bears don't have uh, great eyesight. It's mostly just the smell that you really really have to worry about. Be very cautious about that. So um, I'm not as worried about uh, using camo quite as much. But I do happen to have uh, my uh, Sitka hoodie. I've had it for, I don't know how many years I've had it. I think I have it in here somewhere when I, when I bought all this stuff. Um, I think it was 2015. I think, no, 2016, 2016 is when I got uh, my Sitka pants and I got my Sitka, uh, fleece, super comfortable, really like them. They've, uh, they've held up, which is great. I've added the stone glacier to have on pants like those. Um, and then, uh, yeah, it, it just, th those things last and that's, uh, that's great. I know the iteration, uh, the newest iteration of the Stone Glacier pack that I have, I got my pack in 2018. Um, and some of the improvements they've made on the pack, as far as the, the lid and some of the other buckles and stuff, it's super, super nice. And so the newer version of that is great. I have the, uh, Sky Talus. Uh, the newer version is, is way cooler, but, um, you know, my, my 2018 version is pretty nice too. And so, I'm just rolling with that. It tore once and I had it fixed uh, up here for $9. Um, lady fixed it. So it's been, it's been great. Uh, shoot a 270 with uh, 150 grain. Um, 
It's, uh, you know, again, shot placement. You can argue all you want about uh, all that stuff. And there's plenty of, you know, every time Tyler Free will post anything on, on his um, outdoor life space, people complain about rifle and caliber, like whatever, man, it, whatever, whatever works, whatever you're comfortable with. I like my 270. It's a Savage 116. Um, and then uh, got the Vortex uh, scope. Um, you're not, I mean, you can take really long shots, but usually there's a little bit of, uh, some, some texture or you can kind of go back in the woods. And if there's a logging road, you can get to different places. This last weekend I was at it or Ryan and I were at a place and, um, we were closing the distance. The wind was bad pretty much the entire time. We were trying to close to under 300. There was a little, little point that was pretty close to it, uh, maybe 150 to 200. And we, as we were attempting to make that move, the wind, uh, just got real bad. It was just kind of a light zephyr that was kind of around, but wasn't really, the bear didn't seem like it really minded too much, but, uh, it started to become a little bit more stiff. And so when we popped out, it was gone. Um, so wind is the biggest thing there. Um, but, uh, you can, you can, your shots tend to be 150 to 200. They don't, they don't tend to be too long. The two bears that I, uh, have taken in the spring have been, I think one was a 75 yard shot. The other one was about a hundred. So, um, it's not like you're, you're shooting from, from extreme distances. A lot of times you can just duck back into the woods and you can make a move, cut, cover some ground, um, cut some distance. But some of those, um, grass flats that are in the back of these inlets, sometimes there's really no other place for the wind to go. And so you don't really have the chance, um, if the wind is at your back, like there's just no other way for the wind to go. Uh, when they're coming, when the wind's coming out of those inlets, it's perfect because again, there's no no other place for the wind to go. And because it's going in the pot in the, in the right direction for you, then, then you're in pretty good shape. Uh, if you get a little collection of smaller islands and some of these grass flats and some lowlands, then, um, the winds can kind of swirl a little bit, but, uh, can kind of go over top and, uh, kind of get lost in it, which is good. But, uh, some of those inlets that have some, some good grass flats in the back can be kind of, kind of tough because the wind, if it's consistent out of the North or a Northwest, then it's going to be doing that pretty much all day. And you're going to be, going to be hosed the entire time. So, um, good to have a support, uh, vehicle. It's nice if you have, um, a raft to go, uh, if, if you have a larger boat, um, a, um, my wife and I have alpaca rafts and those things are so sweet because you can inflate them really, really quickly. Um, they're stable, get them in the water and then you don't have to drag them. As soon as you get to shore, you can just go right on up. They're a lot, uh, a lot easier to pack around than like a canoe, um, hauling them to, um, ideally, uh, a little Zodiac with, uh, with a little kicker. Uh, those are awesome because you can haul a lot more stuff in there, a lot more gear, and then you don't have to paddle. But you are making some more noise when you go in. But a little Zodiac is great. Those things are tough. Um, and you can get a lot more stable getting off the boat into that thing, going to shore. And then, uh, again, it can take a lot more weight and take your packs. Uh, the alpaca can take a ton of weight as well. But, again, it's a little bit – once you're stepping out of the boat to get in that thing, um, it's a little <laughs> – can be a little bit sketchy. So um, that's, that's – it's kind of – kind of rough there, but, um, yeah, uh, having a, some sort of support thing is, is great. Having a little, little pack raft is awesome. I think canoes are overrated and they scare me. So, uh, that'll do it for, for this episode. Um, I would also actually, um, for, as far as gear goes, it tends to be really, really wet. And so one way to keep your stuff dry is to have a really good waterproof pack. And, um, the sagebrush dry goods, they just, it's, it's just next level. Um, a lot of stuff is 
tested in Alaska, you know, so for seven days or for two weeks, it stood up to Alaska, but the sagebrush dry stuff, I have a, I have a day pack that's, it's at least 15 years old. And the thing is just, there's hardly even any scuffs on it. It's, it's what it's extremely well-made. Uh, the zipper is waterproof. I mean, they're just, it's a no frills, um, excellent pack. It's not a markup type pack. If, uh, whatever the price is, it's, it's because it's the right materials and it is done exceptionally well. It's craftsmanship. It's not a markup because it's got a brand name. Uh, and I, and I'm just sick of roll tops too. I had a gauge roll top for a while and it was fine. But then with the roll top, you know, if the Velcro starts to go, or maybe you don't get a great roll, or maybe after being jostled around, it starts to open up a little bit. So the, uh, I got the cavern from, uh, from sagebrush and it's got two zippers on it. So you can access different areas. And if it is raining, you can kind of sneak in there and, uh, and, and access stuff without opening the entire zipper. Um, then also it's easier to fit stuff. Sometimes you pile stuff in there when you try to zip it, it doesn't, doesn't zip very nicely. So uh, you can really pack stuff in there uh, pretty good. You don't get stuff caught in there. It's just an, an awesome bag. It's kind of expensive, but it, it, it's worth it. And I fully anticipate this bag lasting forever. Um, it'll be perfect for the, for the skiff life too. So throw that in the front of the skiff and as much water gets on, it's not going to matter. So <coughs> I was holding in that cough for seemed like five minutes. Um, anyway, but, uh, thanks for, thanks for listening. There's a, if you have anybody else has some insight or some, um, questions or anything else they want me to, to cover. I appreciate the uh, feedback insight. You can go to the mediocre leave a message, uh, for podcast topics or anything that you want to know about hunting up here, uh, outdoors gear, anything like that. So, uh, if you're going to be in Anchorage on, um, in, in June on the 9th, uh, I'll be at double shovel, uh, cidery in, uh, or double shovel cider company in, um, in Anchorage, uh, doing a book signing there and uh, talk some hunting with some people. So I'm really excited for that. So if you're in Anchorage on uh, on June on June 9th, that's that Friday, then uh, stop by there. So uh, thanks again for listening, and we will talk to you next time.